In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome back if you're coming back and hello and welcome if it's your first time joining us on Why Would You Tell Me That? A podcast hosted by me, Dave Moore and him, Neil Delamere, uh, where each week one of us uh, does some research, finds an amazing story, gets an expert, brings the expert along and then wows the other and hopefully you as well with some incredible claim, fact, story, adventure, whatever it is. Um, I can kind of kick back and relax a little bit now because it's Neil Delamere's episode. Uh, he's here to tell us what it's all about. Before he does that, I should tell you that we are proudly part of the Acast Creator Network. And thanks to the lads for all their support for us. But Neil, what have you got? Oh, Dave. Oh, you're going to like this. You and everybody you know who likes to partake of a little tipple of Christmas, particularly at Christmas, called Bailey's. We Ooh. will chat to the South African man, you heard it here, South African, not Irish, who invented Baileys. You see, what? Like, Baileys strikes me as an ancient thing. I don't even know why, why there's someone who invented it. And first of all, first of all, why someone invented it is not just always a thing like beer. And second of all, how is he alive? Was it not invented like in... in 11 AD. You're making it sound like some sort of, if some um, very gullible tourist listens to this and, yeah. oh, twas Bailey's was first handed down by the fairies. <laughs> it is mixed with the Jew from a Cromlech and a Dolman, stored <laughs> by a badger and various different infusions. <laughs> is Cromlech Krom, a real word? Cromlech is a real word. That's, I think it's so. I sort of... demand that somebody who listens to this podcast either ca- calls either their next dog, <laughs> goldfish, or child Cromlech. I'm going to look it up. While I want to talking. meet Cromlech O'Hanlon. I demand. <laughs> Cromlech O'Hanlon. What? I mean, Cromlech O'Hanlon, he, wa- he wasn't the most mobile of junior footballers. But my God, <laughs> under a high dropping ball into the small parallelogram when he stood just outside. Oh, my God. What a, what a superstar Cromlech was. Cromlech. And, and his brother, Passage Grave. Oh, <laughs> He was so mad. There was Cromlech. Uh, Passage Grave was the middle one. Dolman was the girl. And... Uh, <laughs> Cranog Obukla. <laughs> Cranog. Oh God. She was very hard to get. But she that's ma- she played ma- that's mainly because she lived in the middle of a lake. <laughs> <laughs> there was a literal moat around Cranog. A lovely woman. I swear to God, your your history teacher from primary school stroke to start of secondary school would be delighted we can remember those. Yeah, and for true. any international listener, Go and look up all the shit we just talked about. <laughs> Best luck spelling it. A cromlech is a megalithic construction made of large stone blocks. What a legend. I, I did not know. You are a legend. I did not have a clue. So no. Anyway, the point is, Bailey's invented by right. uh, David Luckman and a druid. No, David Luckman <laughs> and uh, his business partner and another guy was involved in it as well. David is very keen to give the credit all around. But let's listen to what he has to say because... Oh, I can't wait. You're going to agree that he was absolutely uh, massively important to the entire process. And I'm claiming I'm the man who invented it. So um, Brilliant. So this week, in part one, I thought we'd go food and drink based oh, facts. Okay? Two of my favorite things. <laughs> uh, before we get to them, I want to mention something that we should have done a couple of weeks ago. Oh. I found out something that should have stumped Jose Monkey. So if anybody missed it, a couple of weeks ago, we had Jose Monkey on and people send Jose videos that they have filmed and they say, find me Jose Monkey. And he locates where they shot the video using all sorts of clever logic and internet tools and chicanery and witchcraft and all the rest, right? I should have sent him a picture of you or me in front of Rose Cottage, Dave. 
Rose Cottage. Rose Cottage. It is a quintessential Cotswolds, beautiful stone cottage, right? And the second you see this, you think the bucolic, rolling English countryside and hills and people in tweed looking conservative. I was just about to say then, if it is so quintessentially Cotswolds, you're not just giving Jose the answer. Well, you are and you aren't because I mean, it's made out of the local stone that has all the local features of, of Cotswolds architecture. Yeah. And it was, and that is the clue here, in the village of Chedworth. Now it is in Michigan. Oh, like stone by stone job. Stone by stone, my friend. Oh, man, that's good. Henry Ford moved it. Stop it. Henry Ford. Yeah, all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. And he had to hire the best stone skimmers in all of the world. (laughs) (laughs) To make it all 3,000 miles miles. plus the extra bit to Michigan. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a very flat cottage. It's the only way he was hit. All the stones were very flat. Like Flint, that's how he got across the Atlantic. That's phenomenal. Like Henry Ford, like we've had varying reports on that fella. Like by yeah. and large, I think we can assume he's a, he was he wasn't the greatest human that's ever lived. However, no. he did some weird and kind of vaguely wonderful things alongside some of the darker stuff. But like, like do you remember we told you about Fordlandia? I told you that. Yeah. But we're doing the rubber heist back in I think it was uh, season four. Yeah, so he's, he he tried to get rubber from Brazil in, in the plantations, and he mm. he he designed a town built exclusively around this. And and one of the things he banned, he liked banning things. One of the things he banned for the Brazilian workers was football, and the lads just went. Mate, this just isn't happening, and they just tore the place asunder because and he, he, was he, he was mad into uh, square dancing as well, wasn't he? Yeah, but, yeah. Well, he loved the Cotswolds, right? So okay. this is the background to it from going on holidays there, and he knew mm. the world was changing, thanks in large part to his own Model T creation, essentially. Yeah. So he wanted to preserve certain things, right, like Edison's Labs and the Wright Brothers' shop, right? So he got his English agent to source a house. The aforementioned uh, Rose Cottage. Rose Cottage, okay. Bought it for about five hundred pounds. I've I've seen differing reports. Five hundred pounds. I've 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 seen five thousand dollars for the the land and the house, right? And the agent was told to drive around and source a cottage, which with as many of those original features as possible. Okay. So yeah. he would go to these and the Cotswolds, the villages, particularly though in those days, quite distant from one another. So it took a long time to do this. Found this cottage. It has native limestone. That's what it's constructed from. It has a nice doorway. It has mullions to the windows and aged, mellowed drip stones. That's oh, my God. Said back to him. I trusted that you were devoted enough to this podcast that you've spent so long researching that you mm. know these words off by heart. But please tell me that you're managing somehow to read these while you're talking to me, because that the, the way you described mullions there was too, it was too involved. I've just watched too much Dermot Bannon and Room to Improve. <laughs> and oh, my God, I'm a sucker for some tasty mullions. <laughs> Once someone puts a mullion onto the barbecue, a You're pork, done. a pork mullion, um, <laughs> lovely bit of honey glaze on the outside of it, delicious. Now, he said, "I want this. I want this, and I want this to be brought to Michigan." So, yeah. now, there's you could argue here, and I don't know how you feel about this, but he wanted other kind of classic Cotswold architecture stuff put on it. Oh. So he also added features like a porch, which is a copy of another one, or which wouldn't have been on the Rose Cottage initially. No, and a dormer window and a bay window and a beehive oven. That would be on other okay, houses. Okay, okay. Maybe possibly of different classes, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but they're all examples of Cotswold architecture, I suppose. Keystones were numbered. Stones oh. were packed into 506 sacks. Wow. Doors, windows, staircases, beams packed into a further 211 crates. He even brought sheep to add to this kind of storybook cottage uh, view. Hang on, you mean live sheep? Live sheep, yeah. It's, it's a famous... he wasn't happy with Michigan sheep, he had to bring Cotswoldian sheep. Cotswold sheep, yeah. It's a particular breed there, and uh, which is one of the reasons that Cotswolds were so rich for so many years in, in, from the Middle Ages onwards, because it was all based on wool. And um, he got all this stuff to, to Michigan, took 67 railway... Uh, wagons to transport wow. almost 500 tons of material from Foss so Cross rich. Station to Brentford. He's <laughs> so <laughs> rich. Yeah, I mean, this is just 
bonkers, isn't it? He was just so rich. And then he got Ford workers from the factories. They supplied the labor. Yeah. But he got local stonemasons from the Cotswolds, Tom Troughton and... Oh, he brought Mancold. those lads over. Yeah. William Ratcliffe. And they were, you know, you, you lads, you know what you're doing. Put this back together. Yeah. You know when you do anything from Ikea and there's two or three screws left over? <laughs> 506 sacks. And apparently they didn't have stuff left over. And they're like, oh, I don't know what the fuck. Well, I don't know what yeah, the fuck. Yeah, try and stuff that into your back pocket as you walk out after a day. Yeah, no, no, no. It's all, it's all there now, yeah. Yeah, it's like that bit in, what is it, The Great Escape, where they have to put the, the clay down the trousers. Shawshank the Redemption. Yeah. No, it's definitely The Great Escape. Is that the Shawshank Redemption as well? Shawshank Redemption, definitely. That's where I know it from. Oh, okay. He shakes it down his boots, yeah. There's, there's stonemasons doing the same thing in yeah, both yeah. of those films. And then they were treated, the old stonemasons, they'd made a good few bob from it, by the way. They were they were treated so. to uh, a little Niagara Falls sojourn before they went home. So, yeah. Right, it is so sorry, that sounds mildly threatening. It's like, you're making that sound like it's some <laughs> kind of a mob hit. And before they went home, so there was no evidence, they were treated to a, 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 a Niagara Falls sojourn, which is like basically they're wrapped up and thrown over the edge. They contacted the Irish man who was a house cleaner <laughs> at, who cleaned the newly built house. And you make it sound like, you know, when there's a, uh, and he was the greatest pharaoh that Egypt ever had. And yeah. the design was so beautiful. He blinded the architect. No, it's not that sinister. <laughs> he hasn't it sounded like. He hasn't. That's where the sacks went missing. Here, lads, there's your flotation device for <laughs> not the Niagara. River, a small stone dragging them down. Yeah, no, uh, it is still visited by millions and millions of people in That's Michigan as we speak. So let's get back to food and drink because we're talking about Bailey's. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was getting an x ray in the orthodontist <clears throat> the other day, David. <laughs> right, okay, the only non teenage girl in the dentist that made me feel <laughs> very manly, let me tell you. And um. You see, I always think Americans and Irish teeth are like our idealized boundaries. This is my theory. Right. Like they're all about white picket fences, you know, which are straight and white and even and uniform. And we have hedges Um, (laughs) or or dry stone walls if you're in the West. (laughs) Like they're broken, uneven, gaps where you've been kicked by a cow. You know, it's it's a similar thing, right? Moss growing on them. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Moss growing. You never see anybody flossing a wall. What would you do with your teeth? <laughs> so there's a sign um, showing how radioactive that the x-ray would be. In the oh, dentist. yeah, of course. And it had the scale of radioactivity. So it said like dental x-ray is X and a full x-ray is this. And mm. Shift and Spider-Man is this. And licking <laughs> the ground at Chernobyl is this. But at the top was banana. Banana and radioactivity. A banana is radioactive. There it is. I remember this. Something yeah. about this. They are rich in potassium. One of the natural uh, isotope variants is potassium 40, which is radioactive. And a lorry full of bananas is radioactive enough to trigger a false alarm on a, radi- a radiation detector. No way. So if I had a yeah. Geiger counter and was yeah. walking around clicking and I, and I walked past a truck of bananas. Mm. How did the lads and fives get on with their lives? Yeah, a well-provisioned monkey would set off the <laughs> a Geiger counter in Dublin Airport if they have one. But a typical adult human contains around 140 grams of potassium, yeah. of which about 16 milligrams, I think it's uh, milligrams, is potassium 40. So you are 280 times more radioactive than a banana. So I am. Yeah. you. Well, you in particular. Oh, you're that's like the Hulk. cool. Yeah. I, I like that. Eating one increases your total amount of potassium 40 by about 0.4%, which is detectable, right. but it's very temporary because your metabolism just fixes it. This, this isn't, you know, a groundbreaking fact because I'm bringing it to you in your part one, but yeah, you do know, have you ever seen a monkey open a banana? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it's my kink. I, that's yeah. why I like watching. All of the do it slowly, King Kong. No, but that's do the thing, they don't. So, like, because bananas grow, as we know, like, they grow in bunches. Mm. And the bit, the stalky bit is the bit where it's connected to the bunch, the, the bunch, the bunch, exactly. But it's the other end that we treat as, in commas, the bottom of the banana. Yeah. Is the bit that grows out. That's the front of the banana. It's like we, it's like we go around to every car and we just open the boot. Just like open the bonnet for God's sake, and I mean they are the banana experts. You'd have to say, yeah, they just put, they just pinch it, 
Yeah. And then it just peels away. It's and then like all of like there's that you know that that thing for years and not that old wives tale of like don't eat the bottom bit of the banana it'll make you sick. <laughs> there's a little bit at no, the bottom of, so no. that's a bit at the top of the banana and if you pinch it and peel it that bit's gone so it's not going to make you sick because it's not there anymore but if if bananas are radioactive yeah. and humans are radioactive yeah. do you remember Banana Man the cartoon oh, do I ever surely he was like Fukushima now at this point <laughs> like he was beyond Spider-Man levels of radioactive can you remember A his name yeah. And B, his address. Uh, I cannot remember either of those things, but I can still quote Hamlet from the Leaving Cert. Yeah. Is, is that any use to you? Yeah, well, what was his name? No, no, address? no. Therein lies the difference between Neil Delaware and <laughs> Dave Moore. I could not quote you a single thing from Shakespeare, having done the Leaving Cert as well. I, I think I did King Lear. Out Vile Jelly might be the only thing I can say. Um how can you not remember Annie as Shakespeare? I mean, he was your contemporary. This is an <laughs> absolute disgrace. This Go on. ongoing <laughs> assassination of my character of Edamola. Anyway, his name was Eric. Was it Baker Street, but another... No, number. it was Acacia Avenue. Oh, very impressive. Now, I think, I think, I'm going to go out on a limb here and think it was Eric lived... At fifty four okay. Acacia Avenue. Don't, are you are you Google it? it okay, you look it up. How close am I with Eric? When is the last time you saw it now? Banana Man. Like mm. in the eighties. I just Banana. remember Eric lived at fifty four Acacia Avenue. And he was very ordinary or something like that until he became Banana Man. Oh my good lord. Oh. In the cartoon, Eric Wimp. A boy magically transforms into a banana man, an adult superhero, when he eats wait, a banana. Wait, wait, wait. Can I change? I, I haven't looked it up. I haven't looked it up. Can I change my number? What did you say? I said 54. I'm thinking it was a 20. Yeah. I want to say t- 24 Acacia Avenue. Anyway, some 20 something. I don't know. 29 Acacia Road. Road? Oh, no. I got the road. Oh, that's because I live on an avenue now. I'm kind of mildly disappointed. You you were impressed, but I'm disappointed. Eric Wimp, 29 Acacia Road. I, I, I kind of enjoy it more that you try to explain the rationality of the decision. Oh, I live on a road. And I live on an avenue an now. Avenue. Yeah. Oh, my when God. Eric eats a banana, something, a transformation occurs. Oh. Yeah, and he becomes Banana Man. Well, sorry about that. This is completely distracting from your food and drink talk. <laughs> Okay, I'll give you a quick one and then a slightly longer one. Okay, yeah. Have you ever heard of a Connie Dodger? <laughs> no, I have not. I Connie think you like Dodger. This. Um, I just love this. Cornelius Lucy was the Archbishop of Cork, right? Right. In, in the fifties and the sixties and the seventies, and about thirty years, stickler for Lent and the rules of Lent. Right. Uh, and I know you're very um, suspicious about all this sort of stuff, you know, <laughs> as, as an atheist. So. If, if you remember back, uh, it was a big thing here. Big thing here. Sorry, it still is. Even with children who are not in any way religious, like my own, they still, no, they don't ever end up giving anything up, but they still go, oh, it's Lent. I'm going to do this. I'm going to not do anything. One meal and two collations used to be the rule, right? The collations were like a little mini meal, I suppose. A biscuit right. with your tea sort of thing, right? Uh, and he was very strict on this sort of stuff. And, you know, they carried a lot of weight back in those days. Uh, but he didn't say what size biscuit. Oh. So a local bakery in Cork used to make these massive biscuits. Like, <laughs> massive. One biscuit with your tea. Yeah. And you could get around all the rules. And he was oh, Cornelius or Connie. Brilliant. So it's called the Connie Dodger. Oh, that's so good. I love it. I thought you'd like that. That uh, is amazing. You're not going to like this one as much. Oh. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. This is our last food and drink fact. Okay. It will put you off. Uh, the vanilla flavoring in your yeah. baked goods. You like baked goods? You love like, baked goods. Love vanilla, like vanilla flavored anything. Yes, yes. Okay, love so it. in your baked goods and your sweets and all the rest could come from the anal excretions of beavers. <laughs> I mean, when you said you're not going to like this, I didn't think we were going to go to beaver anus. <laughs> like, that's not what I thought. Why? I mean, it's my I, go-to. It's I my... know, I should know at this stage. It's season five. Yeah. What? So, um, Sorry, why is vanilla not from vanilla pods? Well, because uh, the hoop of a beaver uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a 
not technically not a hoop, secretes this kind of um, goo. Yeah. It's a scientific term called a castor- a castorium. And um, they use it to mark the territory. And the US FDA, you know, the Food and Drink Administration, yeah, says yeah. that it's uh, generally regarded as safe. Generally is a bit of a worry there. Generally mm, regarded as safe, yeah. uh, as an additive. Probably not safe if you're trying to get it out of a live beaver, I suggest. <laughs> well, we're getting on. <laughs> Let oh, me get no, on to the... <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Milking of the beaver. Of the extraction of the anal gland. But go on. Well, it's, it's been used extensively in perfumes and foods. Right. For eighty years, and that was that was according to a study in two thousand and seven, right? In the International Journey of Toxicology. So, I mean, it's nearly twenty years since then. So, it's the guts of a hundred years uh, in perfumes. Like you've never seen that in a perfume ad. You know the way perfume ads are always French and it's always pretentious <laughs> and it's always black and white. It's I will not be who they want me to be. Sometimes the soul does not live in the part of the <laughs> attic where the water tank is. It stays. It. I wanted to be in the hot breast of the mind, Givenchy. I want to see one where your man goes, Chanel number five, made from the stuff from a badger's or beaver's anus. I think as a marketing tool, I yeah. think saying, look, mate, this thing smells like a beaver's anus. <laughs> I think it is definitely worth trying. It might ruin the house of Givenchy, but it's worth trying. <laughs> it's It's... It comes from the caster sacks, basically, which are none of this between. is making it any better, Neil. Well, it's not from the bottom, shall we say? It's it's. Oh, great! <laughs> Let me guess: is there a way of getting to the caster sacks without mm. going through the bottom? Well, they're located between the pelvis and the base of the tail, but because of its close proximity to the end glands, a castorium is often a combination of caster gland secretions. Anal gland secretions and urine, and they Jeez. have to anesthetize the animal and then milk its nether region. Surely to, to frick, surely yeah. to frick, mm. it would be easier and cheaper and less gank, ri- gank, geek, ridiculous. <laughs> To just scrape the bloody seeds out of a vanilla pod and give us that. Do you, do you think that if you go into one of these very high-end uh, French perfume houses that it's like, <laughs> do you know the bit in The Matrix where you just open a door and there's just all these beavers <laughs> bent over, arse in the air. air. Don't look at me! Don't look at me! And all these French, the people with the smallest hands in that's why there's a french manicure because you have to get yeah. your nails done after you've milked a beaver oh god so bad so bad so bad and wait 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 wait, wait, wait. is that then the difference of vanilla extract vanilla essence is there some is i don't i don't Do know, you know you could plug a badger into a glade plug-in <laughs> yeah, i couldn't get my hands in the beaver but we decided to do this instead or have you ever gone oh, into a car? Stop. Have you ever gone into a car like in rural Canada and instead of an air freshener, they had a beaver hanging from the, wi- <laughs> the rear view mirror? Just, oh, just uh, squeeze my tail if you need a fresh burst. I prefer the bits when you were talking about old cartoons we liked. I like Banana Man. <laughs> he, he didn't smell like a beaver's anus. <laughs> Do you want to know what the worst bit of this is? Oh, how can it be any worse than it already is? <laughs> because you don't have to list it on the ingredient list so you can't you can't look up you can put beaver anus in something and not <laughs> tell people stop the no. world I want to get off no so because of it so let's assume this is America specifically because right. of its FDA label yeah in some cases manufacturers don't have to list it and they just refer to it sometimes as natural flavoring <laughs> Holy Jesus. I mean, which is worse? The idea of you milking the beaver uh, uh, with who is knocked out, thankfully, or a line of, you, like, of beavers. You know when a dog has worms and it wipes his bum on the carpet? Like, <laughs> beavers just rubbing their bottom on. Uh, <laughs> no. Neither of these pictures is something I need in my life. Oh, nor does anyone else. It's, just, it's not no, great. It's not. But it is vaguely related to food and drink. And that's what we're going to talk about in the second half. <laughs> Okay. With a man with a greater sense of decorum and indeed a greater <laughs> contribution to the world of food and drink than the nonsense that I have just told oh, you. Thankfully. We're going to talk to David Luckman, 
uh, one, if not the uh, man behind the invention of Bailey's. Wow. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to part two of Why Would You Tell Me That? Now, normally at this point, if we were looking at the invention of Bailey's, Dave, I'd have a scientist lined up or mm-hmm, a historian mm-hmm. who specializes in food and drink social history. And they would be brilliant. They yep. always are. However, I'm going to go one better. Oh. I have them. Well, one of the actual people who invented Bailey's. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. I am delighted to say we're joined by David Gluckman, inventor of Bailey's, amongst other people, and author of a great book about his adventures coming up with new drinks. He's come up with a load of them. The book is called That Shit Will Never Sell, which proved to be wrong. David Gluckman, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Great to be here. So, I mean, it's been a massive success uh, since 1973 when it was invented. We'll get to that a little bit later. But how did you end up inventing Bailey's? Like, it's 1973. You're, you're marketing men. You're, you're, you're Don Draper type lads. <laughs> what, what were you tasked with in it exactly? Well, it was very strange. It was a very simple brief. And it, it wasn't something which somebody said, if you don't solve it, uh, we're going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like that. Somebody said uh, it started with the Irish finance minister. I can't remember his name, but he talked to the head of Gilby's in, of Ireland. It was a great man called David Dand. And he said that if you develop a brand that is primarily for export and brings export money into Ireland, we will give you a 10-year tax holiday. Wow. Okay. So in other words, if it's successful, you don't pay tax on it for 10 years. And this kind of went from Dublin across to London, where the head office was, to a guy I worked with, and then onto my desk. And it was simply, please develop an Irish drink for export, period. That was it. That was the brief. We had no idea who we, the end user was going to be, uh, but that was the brief. And I remember it came in on a Friday afternoon. We just opened up in business on our own. And I said to my partner on Monday morning, what are we going to do about this Irish brief? 
And he was a great man, but uh, he would switch off completely for the weekend. He had to be <laughs> totally rebooted <laughs> Monday morning. So uh, he said, what Irish brief? I explained it to him. And then I'll go back to the origins of the idea, which are quite important. In the 60s, I worked in an advertising agency in London, and one of our clients was a, a very famous Irishman at the time called A.J.F. O'Reilly. Tony O'Reilly. Tony O'Reilly, yes. He's uh, quite an old. He's old, a bit older than me now. And he came to the agency with the brief to transform Irish butter from a commodity which commanded a very low price to a brand wow. which commanded a premium price, and that made a huge difference to the Irish economy. It was a fantastic thing to work on because it wasn't like selling soap. It was trying to bring money into an economy. And O'Reilly was an incredibly charismatic man to work with and also a great man at buying ideas, which is a rare talent. Anyway, I, going forward in time to 1973 in Dean Street in London, I said to my partner, what are we going to do about this Irish brief? He looked at me quizzically and then said, and I said, do you think there's anything in my Kerrygold background which we might bring to bear on this? And he said, well, uh, what happens if we mix Irish cream and Irish whiskey? And I said, well, there's only one way to find out. Let's go down to the shop, <laughs> buy some whiskey, buy some cream, bring it back to the office and see what it tastes like. And? I mean, we had no technical skills at all. We had no idea whether cream and whiskey were comfortable bedfellows in a bottle. But we figured we'd better try something. So we went down to the shops, bought some stuff, <laughs> brought it back up to the office, mixed it up a bit. I mean, I could give you no idea what the dimensions that right, the right, yeah. were. Yeah. And, uh, well, it tasted disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> It really tasted awful. So um, I said, no, there's, there's something here. I'm, I'm convinced. Let's go back to the shop. So we went back to international stores in Berwick Street in London and looked around, and I found a, a, a can of Cadbury's drinking chocolate. So I said, that looks interesting. So went back to the office, added the drinking chocolate, put a bit of sugar in, mixed and matched, tasted it, and it tasted pretty good. And, uh, <laughs> it had been transformed. So we just glossed over something simple there. Uh, David Luckman was part of the, the, the team that invented Kerrygold, essentially. Like, yeah, I so was thinking I the was same thing. Junior. I was very well, junior. Well, still, still, still. Your modesty knows no bounds, but you invented literally something <laughs> that has now travelled the globe and made this country so much money. You might have put the tire on the space shuttle, but you were working on the space shuttle, David. That's what we're saying here. So we got these two, like, you're not misfits, but in terms of what Irish people would assume the inventors are the people who came up with the idea of Baileys. You've got a, a South African of Jewish heritage and possibly the poshest Englishman that there's ever been, your partner, Hugh, who is, sounds absolutely classy if you read the book. We'll get to why Baileys is called Baileys in a second, but one of the reasons was because... It, they were moving within Soho, Dave, and yeah. um, Hugh insisted that their new <laughs> their new offices be near a good game butchers. Because a game he liked, butchers? He liked his grouse. Isn't that right, David? <laughs> he did. He certainly did. This was an, a, a, an Oxford-educated Etonian posh dude, and because they moved around within Soho, they had to come up with this idea for this concoction. We'll get to that in a second, all right? So anyway, you create this um, concoction, David, it begins to taste good now at this point with the sugar and, and the Cadbury's well, and, and well, maybe everything. the fact that you're, you're you're three glasses in is everything starting <laughs> to taste good. Who knows? But what else did you, did you notice anything else about it? Well, it tasted stronger than it was. Although if you asked me what the ABV was, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. And there was just something about it that got me going. And um, we decanted some into a cleaned up uh, Schweppes tonic bottle, screw cap bottle. And we just started off in business, so we didn't have to go to work in suits in those days. We could go in jeans. <laughs> so I said, look, I'm going to go over to IDV, the head office in York Gate, and I put on my suits. I said to Hugh, do you want to come with me? So he said, no, no, no. I, I think 
He said that these people are only interested in real drinks like malt whiskey or fine wines. He said they don't want they won't be by that Mickey Mouse idea. So I said, Okay, I put my suit on, jumped in the cab, went across to York Gate on the edge of Regent's Park and met my client and friend, a wonderful man called Tom Jago. He was a Cornishman originally. And um he was a very bright guy, and um, I walked into his office with this ridiculous screw cap, Schweppes bottle, poured it out into a glass, and we tasted it. And he said, that's great. I think we should do it. I said, can you? He said, no idea, but uh, let's give it a try. And I think thereby hangs the, the tale, really, that an idea is only as good as the guy who's paying for it says it is. You can have the best idea in the world, but if the guy you're selling it to thinks it's rubbish. Well, that's fair. And and he also has to reverse engineer it now based on a Schreps bottle of, of this liquid and presumably figure out how do we manufacture this on a much bigger scale? How do we manufacture it at all? Yeah. Um, and But they had guys up in Harlow and Essex who were the technical people. What we did was about three or four days later, took it up to Harlow to the technical guys and said, can you make this? And um, they said, no idea, but they'd give it a try. I mean, they were required to do that. And I remember talking to Mac McPherson, who was the genius behind the liquid, about 10 years later, and I said, what did you really think of the stuff we brought to you? <laughs> he said, I thought it was absolutely disgusting. <laughs> This was this was five days after they made it, and it's been sitting in a bottle. It's been sitting in a bottle. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, I don't yeah. think bottle age did it any favors. <laughs> but he said, on, 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 the, on the plus side, he said, "But I know what you're trying to do." Okay. And I can do rather better. I mentioned that you moved offices, and that relates to the name. What happened there? Well, when I worked with Tony O'Reilly back in the in the sixties. He said to me one day in a conversation, if you ever come up with an Irish brand that needs a family name, don't pick one like mine. Uh, uh, in other words, O'Reilly's Irish cream. Yeah. He said sounded whimsical. Okay. And so and that stuck in my, I think ideas are that, that like lots of bits and pieces that stick in your brain and then they come out almost to order you know, fueled by panic mm. and fear <laughs> and everything else. And so O'Reilly said, you know, don't pick O'Reilly or McGillicuddy's Irish cream or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Something different. We were moving office to uh, to Greek Street, which is two streets down from where Bailey's was born. And there was a restaurant below our new office called Bailey's Bistro. Ah. And I thought, that's it. I, I don't know. I mean, I think sometimes, with, well, often with ideas, you you come to a conclusion and you, it, be, it becomes a kind of fanatical belief. Yes. You're not even sure how you got there necessarily, but just it has to be based. Well, I, I knew how I got there, you know, in <laughs> hindsight, because O'Reilly sort of pointed me in that direction. He said you use a kind of an Anglo-Irish name, didn't he? It's not as whimsical well, as the O'Reilly. Yeah, something so you, like that. So you still got a sort of a, of a Bailey's uh, effort, if that fits the mould. But talking of moulds, uh, you didn't want to spend money moulding bottles, did you, at the start? No, no. Well, we, we, we had no idea whether the idea would work. So what we did was we found a red breast bottle. And Tom, my client, who was quite handy, managed to uh, d design a letter B to go over the R on the... Um, neck of the bottle. Oh, so, right. So red breast bottles have, a, have the ore. Well, they had then. They I don't had know, then, perhaps. yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. And we, we figured it was going to be a liqueur in a short, fat, brown bottle. That was just our preconception at the time. It wasn't a sort of burning conviction. Mm. It seemed like a good idea at the time. So that became Bailey's. Um, and, we, we, you know, Tom was great. I called him up and said, let's call it Bailey's. He said, great. Perfect. Uh, you know, you could have said, well, why, did it, why haven't you looked at 16 other names? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just bought the instinct, which was amazing, really. Is it true you just made up the address on the early bottles? Well, we, what we did was, was one, of, one of my better contributions, I think. I said, look, we're going over to Dublin to meet people we've never met before. 
we're going over with one idea, so we've got no plan B. Now, this is a pretty wacky idea in terms of the booze business. Why don't we print the labels up? Uh, so so we, we'd actually printed labels and put them on the bottle and dressed the bottle so they looked real mm, yeah. rather than some kind. You know, back in those Golden days, time. you yeah. didn't have computers. So of course. there was no beautiful computer-generated design. There was magic marker roughs, which which looked pretty rough. So we, we, we actually did... Uh, had a printed label put onto a bottle and made it look great so that when we handed it to them, it was something they could see and touch and mm. taste and um, hopefully believe in. And what was the reaction in Dublin then? Because, you know... Well, well I'll, I'll, can I take you there? Oh, please. I would, I'm, I'm along for every bit of the ride, yes. Well, a couple of gentle stops on the way. So one of the things was market research was a fairly new thing in those days. So and we just discovered this whole notion of focus groups. All right. So I said, why don't we stick Bailey's into a couple of focus groups and see what people think of it? And that was actually a mistake. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> why? What did they say? Well, because we didn't know anything about focus groups. So okay. in the mail group, one guy said, look, this is a girl's drink. I wouldn't be seen dead drinking it in public. Okay. And, of course, all the other guys, they're not going to say, no, I disagree with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. They all went along with him, so that that didn't go down too smoothly. <laughs> and then the in the female group, one woman said it reminded her of kaolin and morphine, which was a oh. sort of diarrhea remedy back in <laughs> oh, the 70s. No. <laughs> so oh, that was no. a bit of a downer. Yes. And so the report came out saying, interesting idea, but maybe not. And um, I remember picking it up on the day we drove to Dublin to make the presentation. There was this document, and I thought, reading it on the plane, it wasn't going to infuse anybody. So I put it back in my briefcase and <laughs> didn't mention, Don't mention it. it. <laughs> Brilliant. He just he's buried the market research, and then uh, what was it like? Ten years later, when it was a massive success, or fifteen years later, when it was a massive success, David read it out at a at a party. Oh, <laughs> just, I just went, yeah, the tenth anniversary party. Oh, fabulous! But, um, there, there was that. But the the other the other thing is, we put a couple of bottles into a pub in London. In fact, I was thinking about it earlier, and I don't think the people in the pub who are in there now have any idea of the story, but um, that, this is quite near IDV's head office, the, 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 the parent company's head office. And I would call in every couple of days and say, anybody bought any yet? Bottle just stained there, gathering dust. And then just, the, the, I think, two days before we went to Dublin, I went in and one of the bottles was gone. So I said, oh, what happened? He said, oh, two policemen came in last night and drank the whole bottle between them. <laughs> so, I mean, once you get a taste for it, just, you, you go for it. Well, that was showtime, really. I thought, you know, we now have incontrovertible evidence that Bailey's <laughs> is going to be a worldwide winner. Apparently, the early bottle said the dairy distillery, County Monaghan, because it sounded good, Dave. David Gluckman just made it up. That's all. Brilliant. He just made it up because he thought it sounded good. County Monaghan. Like you said, it's as important for the people. Like you can come up with this idea if if Tom Jago in London and then the lads in Dublin who are at like who are or the guys who are going to be making this who would inve- have to invest in a plant. If they don't buy the idea, you're gone. Can I ask you um, how much money? <laughs> I was going to ask the same question. I assume David Gluckman is an absolute billionaire because of this. How much money does that get out of Bailey's? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you exactly what we, we got. Um, and it's not much. Uh, <gasps> we got, I think we got paid £3,000. Oh, my uh, God. Really? Was, uh, for, for, I, think we, I think we were being paid a fee of £1,000 a month to... Um, to come manage with... the, the the business, so right. I think we, got, we worked out it's about three grand, which which we got for Bailey's. And and do you ever feel like you were more deserving of a percentage of all of the Bailey sales? No, not really. No? I mean, I, I, I think had we owned the patent to the technology, 
You know, we just did a good okay. job. I mean, in, in a way, um, you know, we were never penalized if something failed. Okay. So we did a good job and it turned out to be a great job. And um, But it's just, it is amazing to me that two, you know, marketing guys, ad guys in that that time in London are tasked with creating you know, a, a chemical product, as it were, a product that is, you know, as you, you had to go to IDV and find the experts who could then, you know, engineer it. But yeah. you were still tasked with creating this brand new out of nowhere drink. And you, I don't know if you meant it, but you found a niche in this, in the market. Like, were you aware of the drinks market from that point of view? You knew where to look. Well, we knew what the drinks market, uh, you know, we'd, we'd had a three or four years experience working in the market up to then. And um, we knew a bit about the market run. We knew this was a different idea. And I suppose I thought to myself, well, why should all drinks not taste very nice? Mm. You know, back in those days, whiskey, gin, vodka, they didn't taste too great. There was no reason why somebody shouldn't create a drink which actually tasted pretty scrumptious. And that's why. Yeah. I must say, from a personal point of view, my wife is to this day supporting Baileys in this country that we live in because <laughs> she absolutely loves a Baileys with ice and will, you know, at the weekend finish off a lovely meal and go, do you know what I'm going to have now? I'm going to have a Baileys with ice. And she even has a little bottle. I think it's a little fox's head that sits on top of it, a very ornate bottle that she only puts Baileys in. So thank you, David, for making her a very happy lady on the weekend. I imagine Tom Jago getting that initial bottle going, this is going to cause murder at Christmas parties all <laughs> over the land and also make an excellent cheesecake. That's all I'll say. Um, David, do you know how many bottles have been sold? Oh, over two, over two billion. Um, two billion? By 2019, two billion bottles. Wow. Yeah, and um, I remember... There's a thing in my book, as I think I've got a headline somewhere saying, has the Pope ever had a Bailey's? <laughs> I wondered, you know, so many bottles, so many glasses. Surely. Time. But there were some interesting side stories to it, I think. One of them was about six months before we launched, I had a call from David Dand. I remember it was, it must have been sometime in early July or late June, because the open golf was on. And... Um, he called me up. He said, look, we can't just call it Bailey's. We have to give it an initial. What shall we give it? So I said, well, and I was looking at the paper, and there was something about RNA talk about pin placements right. for the for the open golf. So I said, oh, why don't we give it two initials? Let's call it RNA Bailey. Yeah. And bless him, David Dunn said, yeah, I love it. Let's oh, do it. <laughs> oh, that's, that creates such an image of a family drink honed over generations like in Monaghan in this fake dairy place but really they came out of the RNA that's brilliant can you tell us where the title of your book comes from that shit will never sell that relates to Bailey's doesn't it it does indeed um, what happened was uh, Bailey's was launched in Taylor's Hall in Dublin in 1974 sometime in November I can't remember the exact date and it was a great party, and, and we were told to keep quiet and sit in the back and not say anything, <laughs> which we were quite happy to do. And um, the CEO of um, IDV then was a man called Anthony Tennant, who later became knighted. And he took some bottles over to New York to IDV's guy in New York, an industry legend called Abe Rosenberg. And he said, I've got this new drink. I'd like you to try it. So Abe looked over the bottle, which he said reminded him of Vietnam fatigue uniforms <laughs> because of the kind of khaki uh, green color yeah. on the original bottle. And then he tasted it and looked with the tenant, as was in the eye, and said, that shit will never sell. Wow. I thought, what a great title for a book. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And that's become one of the, it's a sort of, it's been written up in loads of books. It's, it's, a lot of people remember it. So, David, do you indulge in a bit of Bailey's yourself? Is it something you'd buy if you were passing it in the supermarket and go, I'll have a glass of that of an evening? Absolutely not. No, I always have <laughs> Cool Swan. <laughs> cool Swan, another cool one of your Swan drinks, is I presume. Cool Swan 
brilliant. Yeah, that, answer, that answers your question, Dave Moore. You know, are you emotionally attached? God, no. I just move on to the next project. I never look behind me. Always. He's like the Terminator of ideas. He's yes. on Draper mixed with the Terminator. On to the next project. Think about that. Uh, 1974, in May... Hugh and and David have this idea. What we we throw a bit of uh, throw a bit of cream into whiskey, and by November, as you say, it's being launched. That's how quickly it could happen. There, it's just amazing. Uh, and then two billion bottles later, here we are. All thanks to Hugh and to David and to Tom Jago and uh, Mac McPherson, as as he mentioned there as well, who uh, reverse engineered their concoction. David Gluckman, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. And people, I've been leafing through the book. He worked on loads of brands. He worked on Sheridan's and Tanqueray Gin and, and Distilled Guinness was the other one. Uh, it's called That Shit Will Never Sell. Just check it out. It's really, really interesting. Thanks, David. Thank you both very much. Enjoyed it. Absolutely amazing. Welcome back to part three of Why Would You Tell Me That? Well, Dave, that's wow. a classic Christmas and other time of the year table Baileys invented, certainly in part, by a South African man. Well, look, here's what I was saying in, in, in the chat with him, is that like it's one of my wife's, you know, favorite things. And Baileys anything to me tastes amazing. Baileys cheesecake, mm. Baileys the chocolates they make out of the Baileys coffees that people get like. It's such a delectable, brilliant thing. And I just love his description of inventing it in London as as an ad agent. Like, yeah. it's just phenomenal. You do, like we said, you do kind of think of this as a as a, a factory-based process. Mm. Not mm. two lads, one South African, one very posh English dude going, yeah. what happens if we horse a load of cream <laughs> into a load of Irish whiskey and go and from there? add some sugar and see what happens. Yeah, it's, no, it's fascinating. Yeah. Honestly, Fascinating. I would listen to him talk for days. And if Bailey's want to sponsor future episodes, clearly Dave is so into it that <laughs> that would be a marriage made in heaven. Oh, so yeah. I've I've given you the origin of Bailey's, which was not as you suggested at the part mm, at the start mm. of the episode, some sort of druidic no, some guy built as new grange as I thought it was yeah, as an yeah, ice yeah. dispenser. Well, I'm actually. For the next episode, I'm actually going to go Origin as well. And I don't, you know, sometimes we do kind of cross. Now, it's not, don't worry, it's not food or drink. Okay. But in the next episode, I will tell you about the first ever road trip and the woman behind it, Neil. The woman behind it. Oh, that is good. You have. Yeah. Consider my interest peaked. Right. Well, check that out next time. And why would you tell me that with me and him? See ya. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 